If you have your Bibles, I'd like to open, I'd like to ask you to open them to First Timothy chapter five. If uh, you don't have a Bible, you can find one in the pew rack, and the page number is there in your bulletin. But it's one thousand one hundred seventy-six. If you would like to turn to that. We've been working on a series of messages entitled uh, Things from the Pastoral Letters, which is Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. However, we haven't really been in the book of Timothy for quite some time. But today, we're going to take our text from the letter of 1 Timothy. Now, we've learned that the church is the household of God, or the family of God, according to 1 Timothy 3.15. Members of the church are to treat each other like members of a healthy, God-honoring family. Now, we've been looking at what it means to treat somebody like a member of a God-honoring family for some time. So we've looked at the various family relationships, husband and wife. Last week we talked about parents and children. And today I want to conclude this segment of the sermon series by looking at what God's Word teaches about extending family care to uh, extended family members and others even outside of the family. So our text here has to do with the situation in the church dealing with widows in the early church. And uh, it will serve as our jumping off point to talk about this particular subject of extending family care. So, uh, reading uh, the word of the Lord, 1 Timothy 5, beginning in verse 3. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. If a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions, too, so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Pray with me for a moment. Our Father... You love us more than anything. You created our families and our family relationships. You call the church to be the family of God. So uh, as we've been looking here at the various relationships within a family, trying to learn what that means, I pray that you would again help us today, help me, and help those that are listening, by your Holy Spirit to understand your word and apply it and live it out in our daily lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to 
give you a little bit of background, Old Testament background about this matter of woes in the church. In the Old Testament, God revealed to his people his particular concern for the elements of society that were vulnerable or in some kind of precarious state. And there were a number of these groups, but one of the groups that he was particularly concerned about during the Old Testament time, we see this in the law, was that of widows. Uh, and we, you can find this concern expressed in quite a few passages of Scripture in the Old Testament. But I've just uh, singled out four of them for you to look at today. The first from Psalm 146 in verse 9, expressing the Lord's concern. The Lord protects the strangers, he supports the fatherless, and the who? Widows. Okay? God is concerned about the widow. Another passage from the prophet Isaiah says, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. And plead for our home. The widow. Right. Alright, now, let's look at several provisions of the law. God not only expresses his personal concern, but he expects his people to show and make show care, show concern for, and make provision for uh, the widows and other needy people. Deuteronomy chapter 26. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, you know, the tithe is 10% of all the profit that God gives you. When you finish that, then you shall give it to the Levite, to the stranger, to the orphan, and to the widow, that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Uh, and then just one more here uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 24. When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. You're not supposed to pick over the field so there's nothing left there. On the other hand, this Forgotten grain, or the grain that's left over, shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. Right. In order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. God's particular care for widows was based on the fact that in ancient societies, a widow was in a very precarious economic situation, particularly if she had no children. If your husband were to die and you had no children, the widow was in a very dire economic position because in those days, a woman was dependent totally, almost totally, upon her husband for provision of food and necessities and for protection from harm. So uh, most women did not have skills beyond what they needed in order to uh, run a household. And even if they did have skills, they were not opportunities for them to go out and get a job outside of the home as they are today. She, she just couldn't go down to Walmart or to Jack in the Box or to any other place where she might be able to have uh, employment and fill out an application and expect to get hired. They just did not have those kinds of opportunities back in those days. So for a woman, husband to die and to be left without children was, 
was definitely tragic. It was tragic because she lost, lost the closest relationships, but it was also tragic because then she was in a place of extreme economic vulnerability. And uh, you will remember some notable widows in the Old Testament. Uh, there was uh, Naomi and Ruth. You remember how Naomi left her home? She had a husband and she had two sons. The sons grew up and married. So a very promising family. But then suddenly the husband died and her two sons died, leaving her without any kind of means of support. She was in a desperate situation. You remember the widow to whom God sent Elijah in Zarephath. Elijah shows up and says, Hey, can you make me something to eat? And she says, Look, I've got a grain, I've got a handful of grain, I've got a little bit of oil, I'm going to make a cake, we're going to spread it among ourselves, and then basically we're going to starve to death because we don't have anything else. Widows were in extreme uh, deprivation and vulnerability economically. Now, concern for widows carried over into the New Testament and into the church as well. James chapter 1, 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. To visit orphans and widows, right? Uh, and uh, in their distress, and then to live a holy life as well. Now remember when Jesus and his disciples were coming along and they ran into a funeral procession. It's called the widow of Nain. And uh, they're randomly mourning the loss of her only son. Okay, now you got that? A widow, her husband's already died, and now she's lost her only son. Here's the double tragedy situation. She's lost not only the ones she loves, she has lost her means of economic support and has only a very desperate situation to look forward to. The church addresses this early on. You remember Acts chapter 6, where seven men are chosen by the apostles to help solve a problem related to the distribution of food to the needy widows in their congregation. And uh, so they had this feeding program going on to address this issue because they knew that it was important to the Lord's heart. Now, getting back here to the text that I just read, read, read from 1 Timothy, it's obvious here from this text that this church at Ephesus, where Timothy was ministering uh, on Paul's behalf, had some kind of feeding program for widows. And that uh, Paul is giving the regulations here about it. Now, we have also a problem with the administration of this feeding program. It wasn't the same problem the Church of Jerusalem had, which was uh, fairly distribu distributing the, the food. Their problem, apparently, was that they had too many mouths to feed for the amount of food that they could supply. They uh, had more demand than they had supply. And so Paul gives some uh, regulations here and some rules uh, to uh, deal with this particular problem. The solution, Paul says, in this case, is to limit aid to those widows who are truly in need. And you'll notice that in verse 3. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need, implying that some widows were not in as much need as some others were. In order to do so, Paul uh, set up some requirements for Timothy 
to pass on to the church. And we'll find these in verse 9 and following. We didn't read that, but let's do that now. He says, No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60 years of age. So there was an age requirement. Uh, has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger, younger widows, do not put them on such a list. So uh, he's paying down the ones the church needs to feel obligated to support by certain criteria. Furthermore, he says, if any widow had children, Paul says, the church should not need to be burdened by caring for them or need to provide for them. The members of one's own family needed to provide for her own widows. Uh, let's take a look at the, uh, verse 4 here. Verse 4 says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. And again in verse 16, it says, If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Now, this particular instruction for for families to care for their widows is really an extension of what we were talking about last week. Last week we were talking about the obligation of children to parents and parents to children. But we were focusing then upon children who are in the home, being raised by their parents. Now we're talking about adult children with elderly parents. The command to honor mother and father and obey parents has application to these older children as well. And the application is that when parents get older and they're not able to provide for themselves, then the children have an obligation to help to provide for them so they don't become a burden to other people. Jesus taught this understanding of the fourth commandment also. He got into a debate with some Pharisees and he criticized them because he said they were putting their own traditions over against the law of God. And the case in point he uses is the fact that they had some kind of provision in their their own tradition that allowed them to not have to provide for their parents because they said all their possessions were somehow devoted to God, you know. Wasn't that a spiritual, righteous thing to do? Oh, uh, you know. But by doing so, they were negating God's command to honor my own father, which included the responsibility for adult children to provide for elderly parents. And Paul kind of says this really should be a no-brainer for Christians. Positively, he reminds us that providing for elderly parents is pleasing to God. Verse 4. This is pleasing to God for you to do this. It pleases the Lord. And he puts it all bluntly and negative in verse 8. He says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. The implication is this. 
Even people who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and don't know the true God have enough sense that most of them will have compassion enough to provide for their parents. So Christians don't do it. They're not even doing as much as heathen do for their own. So uh, he puts it kind of negatively there, but bluntly, and I think gets to the point. Now the concern here is primarily about widows, female elderly parents, but there's no reason why we shouldn't assume this principle applies to widows, uh, male elderly parents as well. Uh, I think we all know that uh, statistically women live longer than men, and the problem was true back in that day, that day too. And so it's not uncommon to have uh, more elderly women than elderly men at the end of their lives. Now, the obligation is that children are to care for parents. I don't want to imply here by just saying that that is true, that that's an easy thing to do. It certainly is not. This ministry of caring for an elderly parent can be taxing upon an individual or a family personally, emotionally, and financially as well. My grandmother, Grandma Marjorie, lived in Phoenix all of her life. She was a professional lady. She had training in education. She was a music teacher, would have a circuit. She'd go around and teach music at uh, public schools. Uh, and we would go and visit her when I was a child. We had a good time at her house. But there came a time in her life where she could no longer maintain her household. And my mom and my dad had to go over to Phoenix and help with other members of the family to uh, dissolve that household and bring her over to San Diego where we were living. We rented an apartment for her and got her all set up in it. I kind of helped move her in. At that time, I remember doing that. And she lived there on her own for a while, got her a car. Uh, the, the funny thing is they bought a Camaro. I don't know why they bought my grandma a Camaro. She is a little old lady from Pasadena kind of thing, right? Honestly, I've never driven a car that had so much give and go as that Camaro did. It was a nice car. Uh, but she got in a few fender bender accidents. We had to take the car away from her, and she had a series of strokes, and she was not able to live on her own. And so we had to take her into our household and cleaned out my older sister's room, which was off in college, you know, and set her up in the house. And my mom had to, uh, you know, take care of her as well as her other four or five children who were home at the time. And uh, I think this period of time of caring for her was uh, uh, six or seven years. And uh, although I didn't personally bear the burden, but I know it was a tough, it was hard on my mom who, who, who provided most of the care. So it can be very taxing. Uh, parents who have uh, slowly generated diseases like Alzheimer's or dementia, it can take a major chunk out of your time and your intention and your life, particularly we've got other priorities and things that you want to do. Uh, now, no parent particularly wants to be a burden to their children, but sometimes it, it just happens, you know. You, you, it just, that's just the way life is. And it takes a great deal of grace, both on the parent's part and the, the child's part, to do what needs to be done, which is allow the child to take care of you and then to do the work that's involved with that. It's not an easy ministry, and uh, I've prayed with many 
children who have gone through this. You know, when the child becomes the parent and they reverse roles and uh, that happens, that's a really tough time. It's difficult to know how to do that. Uh, but uh, it is a ministry. I want to remind you. It is a ministry. It is something that pleases God. God calls us to do it. It's a ministry that's every bit as important as me standing up and preaching to you. God calls us to love our family members in that particular way. We do it because it's God's will for us in Christ Jesus. We do it because it pleases the Lord. Now, this matter of caring for elderly parents is not really a new subject, as I said. It's more or less an elaboration of what we were talking about next time. But I want you to draw your attention to something else. What's new here in this passage is the expansion of the obligation to extend family care, not just to parents, but to another generation. Did you notice that here in verse 4? But if a widow has children or grandchildren... These should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so, um, and so on, paying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. So Paul says this, this, this obligation to extend our family care to our parents goes beyond that boundary of the immediate family onto another generation. It opens the, opens the implication that, you know, our family concern needs to, ex, needs to uh, go on or pass on to other, mem- other members of the family, other extended members of the extended family that are, that are ours. Perhaps not at the same level or intensity, but still it's there. Uh, the whole story about Ruth and Naomi is the story of an extended family showing care for widows, uh, you know, Naomi didn't have any husband, she didn't have any children, but she did have an extended family. And you know the story how Ruth goes out into the field to glean, like we talked about, because she was a a poor widow, and she meets Boaz. Boaz is a relative. He is a kinsman of Naomi. And they, you know, sparks start to fly, they they get this thing going, and they want to get married. But Boaz can't marry her because there's another relative who's closer to Naomi, who has the inside track as far as providing for this extended family by by the law. Now, uh, the insider uh, gives up his right, and Boaz gets the girl, as the story goes. Has a happy ending. Uh, But the whole point here is this, the law made provision when somebody in your family, like a widow, found a hard time, then other members kind of gathered around, redeemed them. They served as a kinsman redeemer to keep that family going and keep it afloat. And uh, that's the same implication that's here in this, in this passage that we're talking about. So obligation to care for family members might extend to brothers or sisters or aunts or uncles or cousins or nephews or nieces. It might take the form of adoption of the orphaned child of a relative. And those of you that grew up uh, in, during the Depression time or difficult times, you remember that happening. You might yourself have grown up with a relative if your parents uh, died or something like that. And this is the kind of obligation he's talking about. Now, there are occasions then when families will be called on to provide for extended family. Now, let's take this even a step further. 
We've talked about immediate family. We've talked about extended family. But widows were not the only vulnerable element in Hebrew society about which God was concerned. If you remember those verses we read, he was also concerned about the orphan, the fatherless, right? Motherless. He was concerned also about the stranger or the alien, the one who came into town and had no family, no support system. You remember Israel were strangers in the land of Egypt. And they were treated very well down there. God says, don't be like that. Well, when somebody who's new comes into town, take care of them and watch over them. So uh, these, these passages that talk about caring for these orphans, strangers, also sick, lame, blind, imprisoned, the implication of these provisions of the law was this, that our kindness and our compassion and our caring that we extend to our family members should not stop at our doorstep, but should be extended out into our community and to our society. Families would extend to others in need in society the same kind of care that they have for their own members. They were to love their neighbor as what? Themselves. Right. Now, of course, no one family can care for all the needy people around them. There's too many. But every family can at least be outward-looking and outward-oriented and do what they can to care for needy people, even though they may not be a member of their family. Somebody around them who needs help and support. This is in part was implied by the use of the word household in the scripture instead of the word family, because a household would include uh, the nuclear family, mom, dad, kids. It would probably include some extended family and maybe some other people that were supported by the family in other kinds of ways. So it was a household rather than a f just a family. So God's word tells us that families are to care for their own. That is for certain. But they're also to be outward-oriented and be caring for other people beyond the circle of their immediate family. Here's the main idea that I want you to take home today. Christian families are to care for their own immediate members. In addition, they are to care for other relatives and neighbors who are truly in need. Now, our text does strike somewhat of a balance here between being compassionate for people who are in need and being careful not to just enable lazy people who just want a free handout. That's possible too. Uh, that's why Paul discriminates in this passage between widows who are truly needy and widows who can find some other kind of support. Uh, a woman came to me one time and presented a situation to me to ask my pastorly advice. And, and here's her situation. She was a single woman. She had a good job. She had a steady income. She had a couple of siblings that did not have steady jobs and uh, did not have secure incomes. And they were always coming to her and asking her for money. And she'd helped them out through the years. But now she wanted to start saving some money for retirement or whatever. 
And she wanted to know on the basis of 1 Timothy 5, which says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. She was afraid if she did not help these siblings every time they asked of her something, that she would be disobeying this particular instruction here. Well, in view of what we read here, uh, these particular siblings were not uh, unable to support from themselves. They just were making bad choices and wasting their energy and their money. And so uh, they were not truly made, according to the definition we've seen here. They were capable of providing for themselves. They just weren't. So in a case like that, I don't think that that would be obligatory for her to just keep forking out money to a person when they're not truly in need. This also has uh, application to our benevolence ministry. We've got lots of people who come to us, and uh, we help them. We, we are generous to them, but there are times when we say no because we don't believe that they're truly needy. A man came to me when I was serving in, a, in Nevada, and uh, we were going to help him with some food, and he needed to get a document or something out of his wallet, and he opened his wallet, and he had a couple hundred dollars in his wallet. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, you coming to me for food? I've got people here that don't have a cent, and, and you've got a couple hundred dollars, and he couldn't understand why I wouldn't help him. You know, uh, it was like, okay, go use up your time, and you got that, then come back, and I, I maybe I'll help you. Or another woman came to us, asked for help for rent. Well, unfortunately, this lady had uh, a reputation of being seen frequently in the casinos. It's not that she didn't have money. She didn't it very wisely, so we didn't help that particular woman. Sometimes we have people who come up uh, and pull up, and they're looking for help for groceries and stuff like that, and they've got a recent model, very expensive car. And I'm going, well, okay, you know. I don't want to be a judge here, but I want to suggest maybe if you're in dire financial need, maybe you need to sell this car and get out from one of those big parents so that you have some more income to provide for your, your own self. So um, if we give away all the resources we have to everyone who didn't truly need help, we very well could be in a bad place when somebody who was truly in need came to us. So we try to be very generous and not pass judgment, but there are times when we decide that people may not be truly needy, and uh, that's how we operate. So there's a balance. Nevertheless, the general principle is what we have up here. Christian families are to care for their own immediate members. In addition, they're to care for other relatives and neighbors who are truly in need. Now let's bring this home to our church family. You know, in America, a lot of families I see are very intensely focused in upon themselves. Um, the mom and dad and kids, they're just kind of in a huddle, uh, like a tight-knit group that nobody can penetrate, kind of like this. Now, having a football game is a good thing, right? They got to know what the plan is, and uh, they don't have the team to know. But in a family situation, you know, it's not always the best thing. These families do a first-rate job of caring for their own, but caring for their own absorbs almost all of their time and energy, and there's very little left over for others outside of the family as well. So this passage is encouraging us to do both. Care for our own, but also be outward-oriented. And don't neglect to go beyond your own family. This is an important principle to teach children, by the way, so that they're not just always looking for their own self and their own 
their own regards, but to recognize there's other people that are in need as well. This sometimes happens in churches as well. There's little groups, uh, little families, or little groups of very close brothers and sisters. Maybe you're part of a Bible study or something like that. You've got close connections. You're all together in a small group like that. And that's good. Except you have to remember, what happens if somebody new comes in? And they see this very closed, huddled group, and nobody's turning around to welcome the new person into the group. It can uh, turn people away. It gets kind of cliquish or clannish, and we have to be very careful about that. So uh, the right orientation is to be close together, but also be outward openly so when other people come, they can be welcomed in. You want your family, you want the church to be blessed like a gated, barred gate when the people come, and more like a welcome mat with an open door. That's how we want to be uh, as far as what this teaching is concerned. Uh, and we need to apply that here in our church. That was really one of the main points that uh, I wanted to make when we had the Lord's Supper uh, a few weeks ago. Some of you were here for that when we had Lord's Supper around our table. So we had families gather there, but families to which others in the church were added so that there was this extended group, this household group together. Uh, and uh, that really is a, uh, an illustration of what I'm talking about here. So Christian families are to care for their own immediate members. In addition, they're to care for other relatives and neighbors who are truly in need. Now, brothers and sisters, uh, many of you do a good job of loving others and welcoming others, and I'm, I'm very blessed. A lot of times when I get a guest speaker coming in, they'll comment on how welcome they felt here. So that's a good thing. And let me urge you to do what Paul said to the church that was doing a pretty good job of loving. He said, well, you did a great job, but I want to encourage you to excel even more in this matter of loving and caring for other people. And that's what I would like to encourage you to do. Remember, when we were lost and far apart from God, God didn't just stand up, sit up in heaven, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they were a tight knit group. All power, all glory, all comfort, all might. But when he saw how lost we were as human beings, he sent his only son into the world. He divested himself of all of his heavenly glory and splendor, found himself in a human body and endured extreme poverty and hardship and was obedient even to death on a cross. He bore our sins in his body, in his cross, and rose up from the dead so that everyone who believes in him can be reconnected with God and part of that fellowship. And if you don't know Christ as Savior today, let me encourage you to open up your heart and receive him as your Savior and Lord and become a part of God's household and family today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this uh, word that you've given to us, how we are to care for our own, be careful to care for our own, and yet not just get stuck there, but also welcome others into the circle of our home and of our church. Help us, Lord, to be inclusive 
drawing people into your love because you said it was by love for one another that others will know that we are disciples. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.